Uh, good morning to everybody. Um, I didn't see, I always turn off the little participants sidebar uh, earlier, so I didn't see if we have any guests today, but if we do, uh, welcome to Wayside. Uh, it's nice to, to have you with us uh, for worship. And today, as has already been said, is uh, known traditionally as Palm Sunday. And of course, in fact, uh, Ashley sent out a, a coloring sheet, I believe, that my kids are working on right now, uh, where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, uh, seated on the donkey, and people are, are waving the palm branches and saying, uh, Hosanna in the highest. And um, and that's what Palm Sunday is. It's, it's a commemoration of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem uh, on, on that day. And it begins... Uh, the, the what's called, well, sometimes it's called the Holy Week, but it's also referred to as the Passion Week. Palm Sunday begins the week that leads up to the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's the week leading up to Easter. And, uh, and really, I mean, if you think about it, Palm Sunday is the perfect time to be discussing what we're going to be discussing today uh, from our passage in Hebrews. Uh, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people wanted him to be their king. That's That was their anticipation. Even his disciples thought, now you're going to set up the kingdom of Israel. The The Israelites, the, the Jewish people uh, on that day and in that context of history, they wanted a king. They wanted Jesus to defeat the Roman oppressors and to restore the kingdom of Israel, to reestablish the kingdom of Israel that had kind of fallen by the wayside. And it's true, don't get me wrong here, it's true that the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew prophets in particular, looked forward to a day when God's anointed Messiah, his Christ, would rule as king on the throne of his ancestor, King David. So they got it right in that sense, that that, that we do see that in the Old Testament, okay? And Jesus did talk about that, but before Jesus would come as a conquering king, he had to first become our high priest. And before he could ascend into heaven as the perfect high priest, he had to have a perfect sacrifice for sin. And that's why Jesus was entering Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. The central teaching in Hebrews concerns the high priesthood of Jesus. And today we are stepping off into what's going to be a deep dive over the coming months into this theme of Jesus's priesthood, and it's going to last all the way up until the middle of chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 18. And in these chapters, 5 through 10, the inspired author of this letter to the Hebrews is, is as we've said before, he's exalting Jesus in this context as our great high priest so that he can pastorally exhort Christians to trust in Jesus's ongoing priestly service, even as we all together look forward to his ultimate return to rule as king. Uh, there's, a, there's a popular movie trope, sort of a stock image in movies, where a person is dying, and you see this in war films and especially, but a person is dying, and so they ask for a priest. Uh, or somebody does anyway on their behalf. And usually a Roman Catholic priest shows up to administer last rites just before the person dies. 
And although, you know, this makes for a dramatic scene in movies, it kind of um, is memorable in that sense. It, it also influences the way that we think of priests. A lot of how we think of priests is more informed by kind of culture and entertainment uh, than it is uh, scripture. So what we what we come away with when we see these scenes in movies uh, is that you only really need priests at certain key times, especially right before you take your last breath. But that culturally informed idea of, of priest really obscures the biblical concept of priesthood, what we know of it. According to scripture, the reality of God's holiness and our sinfulness means that we all need a priest and we always need a priest because sin separates us from God. And the role of a priest is to represent us before God and to bring him our offerings and our sacrifices for sin. But even though we all need a priest, we rarely recognize that. And that's true of both Christians and non-Christians. We either think too little of God's holiness, and so we live rebelliously without thinking we need a priest, or we think too little of God's goodness and grace, and so we become overwhelmed by our sin. But there's a better way than that. The, The big idea for today is that Jesus is the perfect priest for imperfect people which is all people. But when we understand the nature of his priestly service and and, and when we trust in him as our great high priest, we can flourish in this life. But in order to do that, we, we have to recognize two things. First, that imperfect people, again, that's all of us, need a high priest. And two, that we have a perfect high priest in Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to look at today. So, first of all, imperfect people need a high priest. Now, folks, in the first century, these these Hebrew Christians, these Jewish background believers, they would have understood this perfectly, okay? This would have made sense to them. But most of us are going to need a little refresher on Israel's high priesthood. So, go ahead and look with me uh, at verse 1 in our passage, Hebrews 5.1. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So here we see that the high priest was appointed by God to perform two basic functions. On the the one hand, he represented the people before God. And then second, he presented their gifts and their sacrifices to God. On their behalf. And this was especially important on something called the Day of Atonement, which we see in the Old Testament. Uh, this was this was the one day each year when the high priest, this one person from this one particular tribe of Israel, uh, could um, could uh, sort of go through the courtyard with the sacrifice and and through the holy place, the the outer uh, chamber of the tabernacle and later on the temple, and and go all the way into what's called the the Holy of Holies. It's the the innermost 
room, the innermost chamber in the tabernacle uh, when they were moving around the wilderness and then later on in the temple when it became a structure, a, a permanent structure. And this one day, this one person, the high priest, could go into that Holy of Holies, which represented the, the very presence of God on earth. Okay. Now we know that God is, is uh, omnipresent. He, he's, he's everywhere. He's not, uh, you know, reduced to being in one place in, in, in the sense that we are. Okay. But the tabernacle and later the temple and that, that holy place and then inside of that, the Holy of Holies, that was, that was God saying, this is where my presence is, and, and, and this is a holy place. It's the holy of holies, in fact. And so on the Day of Atonement, the, the high priest could, could go to this innermost room in the tabernacle to bring before God a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. But before the high priest could bring the sacrifice for the people into the holy of holies, the blood of that sacrifice, the, the high priest had to have a sacrifice for his own sins, and this was because every high priest was weak and vulnerable, and they inevitably sinned. They had their own sins to atone for, not just the sins of the people. Um, they sinned just like we do. They were imperfect people. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, The high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, or wayward, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. So every high priest had sin. Uh, in verse 2, we see that by recognizing their own weakness and vulnerability to temptation, and that was a hard thing for some of them to do, but, but by recognizing their own weakness, their own um, susceptibility to falling into temptation, the high priest was supposed to be able to deal gently with wayward people, people that were um, didn't understand, that were ignorant, they were always going astray. And I love how this one Bible scholar puts it. He said, uh, in talking about this idea of dealing gently, he says, a priest would need to avoid personal feelings of impatience or disgust with the sinner while interceding with God on the sinner's behalf. Since the high priest as a man himself could err in two extremes, irritation and indulgence, a balance between the law and love, between stoic indifference and exasperated anger is needed. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and this, this intermediary role as a mediator between God and man, it was really important. And the Israelites knew that they needed a high priest. It was baked into their their culture, their religion, their history, their everyday understanding. So they knew they needed a high priest, but they also knew that their imperfect high priest, this whole succession of high priests that were all imperfect, could only provide a temporary solution for sin. In other words, not a permanent solution for their sin. What they really needed was a perfect high priest. Um, Friday night, uh, some of y'all know this, we've shared this before, but Friday night is family night at the Bremen home. And we usually watch a movie together. Uh, and this past Friday, it was a 1966 Disney film called Follow Me Boys uh, with Fred McMurray. And actually it was Kurt Russell when he was like a 12 year old. Um, but 1966, Follow Me Boys, it's all about this small town Boy Scout troop that gets started 
by this guy named Lim, okay? And in the movie, a rich widow in the town loves what they're doing with the scout troop, and she wants to give this really valuable piece of, of lakefront property to the scout troop. Um, and because of that, her conniving nephew, who's supposed to inherit all her money and this property, uh, he takes her to court to try and prove that she is not mentally fit uh, of sound mind to make such a financial decision as this. And so long story short, the widow asks Lim, the scoutmaster, who, as we see, has been studying law books in order to become an attorney throughout the movie up to this point. So she asks Lim to, to help her with her court situation. And of course, Lim, the scoutmaster, has you know no trouble getting the charge dropped uh, or reversed. Uh, he knows exactly what to say and, and exactly which questions to ask to prove her mental fitness. And I think this illustrates well the point of the first part of our passage. The widow in this movie understood that she needed someone to represent her before the judge, before the court. And she ended up asking the absolute perfect person in the small town for help. And of course, was successful. Uh, in the same way, we need representation before God. We understand that. We, we need someone to ensure that we will ultimately be judged innocent, righteous, and forever forgiven before God. We need a high priest to help us, and Jesus is the perfect person to be our representative. Um, earlier, we saw that Israel's high priests were weak and vulnerable to temptation and often uh, sin just as we do. Therefore, they could, as we said, deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because of their humility and their recognition that they were in the same boat, right? They were sinners as well. Now, even though Jesus was sinless, he, he never succumbed to temptation, okay? Uh, but he was tempted to the utmost, but he was sinless. But even though he was sinless, he also can deal gently with us. And in fact, he can deal infinitely more gently with us than those other high priests who were merely human and had, their, had, had sin issues. So consider what Hebrews has already taught us about Jesus. I want to look at two different passages we've already looked at so far. The first one is this mention of our high priest in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. The, uh, the inspired author writes, Therefore, he, talking about Jesus, had to be made like his brethren in all things. It's talking about this human nature that we share with Jesus, okay? Uh, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, this priestly service. Uh, and then in verse 18, for since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus knew temptation, but he never succumbed to it and sinned. But he got both barrels of temptation unloaded on him. And that's one of the things that we uh, worship him for during the Passion Week as he faced his, his most extreme suffering and hardships and temptations. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 uh, through 16 that, that Martin covered last week. Starting in 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through 
through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, then you are involved in in what Scripture calls a process of sanctification, uh, which basically just means that God is making you more and more like Jesus Christ. And he's using every circumstance and, and, and reality in your life to accomplish that purpose, including our suffering. Okay, And as we go through this lifelong process of sanctification, of being made more and more like Christ, uh, there's going to be trials and there's going to be tribulations. Jesus promised this during his Passion Week. He told his disciples that you're going to face hardships and suffering. But... As we are tempted in the midst of those trials and tribulations to to give up on Christ, to to turn away from him, as we are tempted to go our own way in life, to go astray, as our passage talks about, what we need in those moments is a merciful high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, who knows what we're going through and is able to come to our aid in those moments of temptation. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. His his sacrifice was the basis for uh, what theologically is called justification, but that's basically just God. The moment when we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's the moment that God brought down the gavel. It's like a courtroom scene. He brought down the gavel to say, you're not guilty. Okay, that's justification. Okay, so his sacrifice was the basis for our justification when we trusted in him. uh, And God did declare us not guilty, but his priestly service continues today. It's ongoing so that we can continually draw near and we should continually and confidently draw near to our gracious God in times of need and especially in times of temptation. And this leads to our second and final point for today, which is simply this. We have a perfect high priest. In verses 4 to 6, we see uh, our high priest's appointment by God. And and this continues the thought of verse 1, which, remember, it explained that high priests were taken from among men and they were appointed by God. This is God's action in both senses. He takes the high priest from among men to represent men, and he is uh, appointed by God to do so. Now, jump to verse 4 with me. Verse 4 says, And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Now, here we see Aaron, and just as a refresher, that's Moses' older brother. Uh, We see him all the way back in the book of Exodus. And this is the first time he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Um, part of this whole priestly section in the middle of Hebrews from chapters 5 to chapters 10, part of the purpose of this teaching is to show that, that Jesus Christ in his high priesthood is superior to Aaron. But this is the first time we see Aaron's name mentioned in the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, Aaron was called by God to become the very first high priest for 
the newly birthed nation of Israel in the Exodus. And eventually, of course, he died. We see that in uh, the, the, the books of Moses. He dies, and then uh, God continues to call the, his sons, these, these male descendants of Aaron, to, to serve in that role as high priest of Israel. Now, fast forward 15 centuries, and by the time Jesus enters Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, the high priesthood is sort of in shambles, spiritually speaking. It, it had basically become a political appointment, for some pretty shady characters, I'll be honest with you. There's some some real shenanigans going on with these guys uh, for you know 200 years before Jesus showed up, uh, but certainly culminated. In fact, the high priest at that time um, on that first Palm Sunday, that the high priest was the one who actually handed Jesus over, who handed the Messiah over to the Romans to be persecuted. Uh, and ironically, if you think about it, that sacrifice on the cross, his crucifixion, then became the basis for Jesus's own perfect high priesthood. It was the perfect sacrifice on which his perfect high priesthood was based. And it was infinitely superior to the high priesthood of Aaron and his sons. Look at verses five and six. So also Christ did not glorify or honor himself so as to become a high priest. Uh, but he who said to him, this is talking about God the Father, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's from Psalm 2. Just as he says also in another passage, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So, the title Christ, it's important to see how the author uses uh, the name Jesus and the title Christ in the letter to the Hebrews. So here we're seeing Christ, uh, which means the anointed one, anointed of God. Uh, it's really emphasizing the humility of Jesus. You see, he did not anoint himself. God anointed him. In verse 5, we see that he didn't glorify himself but rather God the Father honored and glorified him for his perfect obedience. And that perfect obedience, which ultimately resulted in his suffering and death, was the reason that he received this, these dual titles of son and priest after his crucifixion and resurrection. But folks, Jesus wasn't just any old priest. On the Day of Atonement, the other high priests in Aaron's line, they passed through the tabernacle or later the temple courtyard and through the holy the, the chambers of the, the temple, the holy place, and uh, ultimately to stand in the holy of holies, the innermost room of the temple or the tabernacle. But you see, Jesus, as we saw with Martin's sermon, Martin's passage last week, Jesus passed through the heavens to enter the heavenly holy of holies in the heavenly tabernacle. And then he, he didn't stand. He sat at the right hand of the Father, having become our perfect high priest. And his perfect priesthood will last forever. And on the other hand, Aaron and his sons, those other high priests, they served in a, in a temporary capacity. And the blood of their sacrificial animals Scripture tells us, could never atone, truly atone, for the sins of the people, not to mention their own sins. 
But Jesus was different. He, he wasn't from Levi's tribe and from Aaron's descendancy. In verse 6, Jesus is instead likened to Melchizedek. Now, who in the world is Melchizedek? <laughs> uh, Melchizedek, interestingly enough, is it's the he's the first person that's referred to as priest in the Bible. And that's in Genesis chapter 14. And we're going to learn all about this sort of strange character from Genesis 14 uh, in coming weeks. But for today, I just want to consider for a minute this reference to Melchizedek that comes from the pen of King David uh, in Psalm uh, 110 verse 4. Okay, so that's what's being quoted here about you're a priest forever in the line according to the order of Melchizedek. So first, what we see in this quotation of Psalm 110.4 is that even in King David's time, around 1000 BC, 500 years after Aaron became the first high priest, a thousand years before Jesus showed up to Jerusalem, uh, God had already revealed that the Christ, his anointed one, would be a different kind of high priest than Aaron and his sons. He had already revealed that. And second thing we need to see is that Christ's high priesthood would be permanent and everlasting. In other words, we have a perfect, permanent high priest, and his name is Jesus. Uh, remember I mentioned that movie trope earlier uh, about the dying person who senses that he needs a priest at the very end of his life? As Christians, we're called to live for Christ. That's why Paul calls us living sacrifices in Romans chapter 12. We take our lives and place ourselves on the altar for God to be used as living sacrifices. So as Christians, we are called to live for Christ. And sometimes that means to die for Christ as well. So as Christians, we sense, not like the dying person in the movie trope who senses they need a priest at the very end of their life, we sense that we need a priest uh, at the beginning of our new life in Christ and all throughout it, all the way until the day that we die or Jesus comes back to get us. But all too often, we only trust in Jesus for our initial salvation. It's sort of like the golden ticket mentality. I got my golden ticket to heaven. Now I'm just going to wait around throughout this life until, you know, I go to heaven, until I die, right? If we only think about our salvation in Christ as our initial salvation, that, that justification I talked about earlier, uh, and then we think it's up to us to make ourselves more like Jesus, it's like we can trust in his grace for our initial salvation, and then we have to roll up our sleeves to make ourselves more like Jesus, to make ourselves, to sanctify ourselves, in other words. But, but that's impossible for us to do by ourselves. Instead of that, we all through this life in Christ, we need to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us. But we also need to depend upon and believe in the sanctifying work of our high priest who is seated right now in heaven at the right hand of God the Father and is interceding for us on our behalf as our perfect representative. If we fail to see Jesus as our perfect high priest, then we won't fully experience his sanctifying power in our lives. Let me say that again. If we fail to recognize Jesus as our perfect high priest, who is uh, serving 
us in that way, even right now, that is a present work of Christ in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, that he's conducting this priestly service on our behalf. If we fail to recognize that and acknowledge that in our day-to-day life, then we won't fully experience the benefit of it, his sanctifying power in our lives. So the application for verses four through six is really simple. It's to recognize that we have the perfect high priest in Jesus Christ. And folks, this is going to keep us from falling into three various spiritual pitfalls, okay? This recognition of who Jesus is and what he's doing today on our behalf in the heavenly holy of holies. Three things it's going to prevent us from falling into. First, we won't be tempted to look for a perfect high priest among imperfect people. That's what we do. (laughs) We all have this innate sense that we need a priest, right? We need somebody to be our intermediary between us and God. Um, And that's what we're doing when we we try to get to God through someone else. Whether that's a parent, we're, we're trusting in their faith to get us to God instead of our own, whether that's a child, uh, whether that's a spouse, uh, you know, kind of pushing that off on our spouse to be the, the, the holy one, the sanctified one, through whom we get to God, right? Um, like they've got the in with God. Um, it's what we do when we turn to a living leader in the church, uh, a, a pastor or, or some other leader in the church that we kind of feel like they're on like some upper echelon of Christianity and we can kind of go through them It's also what we do when we go to a long-deceased saint in some Christian traditions. uh, And and the error of seeing uh, them as our ultimate intermediary to God versus Jesus Christ. The only person qualified to be the ultimate intermediary standing between us and God is Jesus Christ. All right, second. Acknowledging our perfect high priest keeps us from attempting to pridefully approach God on our own merit, okay? Uh, Based on our own offerings, our own sacrifices, and and really what this is called is works righteousness. It's proving our righteousness to God by our works. Uh, And it's it's the opposite of the gospel of God's grace. I don't know how simpler to put that. But if you're trusting in your works to qualify you as righteous before God, um, folks, that's, that, that is only the blood of Jesus, only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away our sins, as the song says, right? To rely on anything else is to reject, ultimately reject his sacrifice and to reject his service as our great high priest. Okay, third spiritual pitfall that acknowledging him as our high priest keeps us out of. It will keep us from falling into the opposite temptation. So on the one hand, we pridefully step toward God based on our own merit and think we can approach God in our own works righteousness. The opposite is the temptation of disqualifying ourselves from ever being able to be in God's presence. I mean, as Christians, we we have to remember that his sacrifice and his priestly service has made us once and for all, holy and righteous in God's eyes, that we are justified. We've been made holy. We've been made perfect positionally before God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not fully sanct. That doesn't mean we are fully sanctified in this life. We're still going to make sins and fall into temptation and, and need that, that sanctifying work of Christ in our lives. 
but but uh, speaking spiritually speaking in terms of our position before God, when we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, we are holy and set apart and righteous. And, and God says we are not guilty. We are justified. Okay? So if we start to get so um, feeling so pitiful and, and so dirty and, and yucky and uh, uh, unclean as though, you know, God would never have us in his presence, right? And we're putting too much trust, not in our good works, but we're putting too much trust in our bad works to disqualify us from, from being who God has called us to be through our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's lean in, just like the inspired author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 16 that we looked at earlier. He says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'll close with the conclusion of a fascinating article that I read. It's by a a commentator, a a biblical scholar by the name of David McLeod. And the article he wrote is called The Present Work of Christ in Hebrews. And in this article, he describes the ongoing priestly ministry of Jesus. Uh, And and since most of us are followers of Christ, he writes it in the third person. I'm going to replace all the they's and them's with we's and us's and ours. Okay, because I want this to resonate with us. Let me read you his quote. He says, at his ascension, that is when he ascended into heaven. We see that in the book of Acts, the very beginning of the book of Acts. At his ascension, Christ was formally installed as high priest and began his present high priestly work. In the heavenly tabernacle, today, he represents us. In other words, he secures our acceptance with God. He obtains free access for us into God's presence. He intercedes in prayer for us and grants us help. He mediates our prayers to God and God's strength to us. He anticipates his return to earth to reign. And at the end of the present session, will bless us by bringing us deliverance into the kingdom. Now, over the coming weeks, we are going to further unpack this topic of the high priesthood of Jesus. But as we end today, I just I pray it is my my absolute hope and prayer that you are encouraged by this brief glimpse of your perfect high priest who is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And if you've never trusted in him, if you've never trusted in uh, his sacrifice for your sins, that perfect atoning sacrifice that once and for all can cleanse you from your sins and and make you righteous and holy and not guilty before God, adopted into God's family, so that he can so that Jesus can become your perfect high priest, then I pray, man, woman, or child, whoever you are, that you would do that today. If you have questions about that, reach out uh, to, to one of us, to to, to a waysider, uh, or to a parent, or you can call me. Um, but I would love for you to to do that today. Uh, Next week is going to be Easter, and I hope we have a lot of visitors. Uh, We're going to take a a closer look at how Jesus became our high priest in the first place and what that means for us as his people today. So I hope you'll join us in person next week for Easter. I hope you'll invite a friend, a a family member, a a, a co-worker, a neighbor, 
uh, along with you as well. And uh, I look forward to, to worshiping with you next week. Uh, let's pray.